0: Blog Talk Radio. From enslaved Africans. People use words to confuse the was trapped again. Our lineage the deep within the challenge. Our family tree consists of people that had influenced the planet, bro. We managed to. With a heritage like African American is not African But listen to me, I'ma have you black again Pumping up your fist and using pixel fiction, after I like to give respect to M.Hotep Considered by the world to be the first architect The high priest of the sun god Ra at Heliopolis He built the seven pyramids in Egypt and they still exist a philosopher, a recognized genius He diagnosed 200 different diseases They say Hippocrates is the father of medicine With M. Joseph lived 2,000 years ahead of him King Soundwall spread, second ruler of Kimmage He was said to have conquered Greece by Herodotus The first ruler to believe in one guy Was Hotep, the fourth, later known as Akhenaten. King. civilization, they can't wait. the gateway from spiritual to the physical creation, the child's first teacher. about a little history through rap welcome to our own voices live my name is rodney smith and i am in the air chair tonight all by myself i know it's been a while believe it or not i've run for office i ran for congress to represent nevada's fourth congressional district came up way short but i was in the fight and i am back had to take a lot of time off because let me tell you that's a full-time job but I want to get into the show tonight, and hopefully we'll be back next Saturday at our regularly scheduled time, at least before I took so much time off. And that's Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. Hopefully you will hear me back and that you will call in and join in because I would love for you to participate. So the title of our show today Because this is November 10th, 2018, 120 years ago, there was the 1898 coup d'etat of Wilmington, North, 1898 coup d'etat of Wilmington, North Carolina. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And that is the title of our show. Uh, Before I go on, though, let me give you a little bit of background about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices uh, Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our communities in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. Some of the ways we do it is with shows like Our Own Voices Live. Uh, But Our Own Voices Live is a spinoff of Our Own Voices magazine, and Our Own Voices magazine was designed to educate Americans on American history and culture, to talk about African American history and culture, to talk about all of the various groups that make up this great country of ours, so that each one knows more about themselves and that we know about each other. Because I believe, like the late, great Sam Smith says, when we know more about one another, we're less fearful of, of each other, and we're more willing to say hi and to be cordial to one another. You know, we typically kill the things that we, we don't know much about, and we do it as humans as well. So that's a little bit about our own voices live. And we also do... Uh, The gathering at the West Side Bistro every Friday from 12 to 2 on Fifth Fridays or when there's a holiday, we revert to our alternate location, T.C.'s Rib Crib. That's right, T.C.'s Rib Crib, rated 35th in the nation for Southern barbecue-style cooking. Right here in Las Vegas, as a matter of fact, it is the only restaurant in Nevada that's on that list, just to give you an idea about it. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, That's what we do the third Saturday of each month. We do a Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. statue cleanup uh, right at the corner of Cary and Martin Luther King Boulevard. That's in North Las Vegas, uh, North Las Vegas, Nevada, for those of you outside the state. Uh, We like to be involved in the community. My running for office was another form of being involved in the community because, after all, when you run for office and you are elected, their job is to stay in contact with the community and represent them. And I try to do that. And I'm sure we do the book drives and book fairs. We do other things. But tonight, and, if I, you know, it's taken me a little bit to get comfortable in the air chair, but I am back and I hope to be back with you. And I hope that you all will join me as I restart this venture. But I want to talk about tonight the cool, that happened in 1898, 120 years ago, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Now, some reasons why I think this is important is, one, because it is a historical marker in American existence because the only officially listed insurrection, because that's what they listed as is an insurrection, or coup d'etat in America, successful ones, is the one that happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. Another reason why this is important to me, and I think that you all should should know this, is because we just had Elections Tuesday. And some of the things that we talked about is if we're having a slow-moving coup d'etat in America today. But I wanted to talk about a real one. And then the third reason why this was important is because I am from that area of the country originally. My parents, my mother, was born not too far from that area, southeast of Wilmington, North Carolina, is my ancestral home. My people were slaves in South Carolina, uh, not too far from Myrtle Beach. As a matter of fact, my ancestral home is just in between Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and Wilmington, North Carolina. So this has relevance to me. And this was history that I didn't know when I lived there. I didn't even learn it in school at all, which you would think that it was a coup d'etat in the area. It's the county adjoining the county where I'm from. I'm from Brunswick County. Wilmington, North Carolina is in New Hanover County. Why this is important? So many reasons. One, it tells you what can happen. So let's not think that because we are in America and we're Americans, that things that happen in Banana Republics or it happens in other countries cannot happen here. Because this is proof that it did. Now, Wilmington, North Carolina, in some ways, was like Black Wall Street, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Greenwood. But the difference being that there was animus between the white people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Greenwood. The people who lived in Greenwood They divided the town that way Wilmington, North Carolina This is how it's different In Wilmington, North Carolina The government Was shared by both blacks and whites That's right, it was shared It wasn't exactly even But pretty close The population of Wilmington, North Carolina Had more blacks in it then it did white people. Probably about 60% of it was black and the rest of it was white. Wilmington, North Carolina, I mean, it, it, there were slaves in Wilmington because it was in North Carolina. But once slavery ended, somehow the people in Wilmington, North Carolina, found a way to coexist. Freedmen, blacks, and whites, they found a way to exist. They found a way to exist politically. Imagine that. This is shortly after slavery. You had black people who were professionals. You had black people who were, they called them aldermens back there, sort of city council, county commission, somewhere in there. You, you had that in Wilmington, North Carolina, where both blacks and whites lived. Near one another Worked together As a matter of fact The majority of the artisans In Wilmington, North Carolina Were black So the people were employed And people came People who had been slaves Came to Wilmington, North Carolina So they could start a new life So they could get employment Now there were some disparities Disparities in Wilmington, North Carolina So for example Even though there were more blacks In Wilmington, North Carolina Than whites Whites owned the majority of the land. Even though there were more blacks than whites in Wilmington, North Carolina, whites owned the majority of the business, but blacks did own businesses. Blacks did own land. Not a lot of it. And there were some reasons. There were some structural reasons for that. So, for example, a bank was not very likely, even in Wilmington, North Carolina, to lend a black man money. Black people, most of them, had invested their money, or a lot of them had invested their money in the Freedmen's Bank. And that bank was run by the federal government. But there was graft, there was corruption. Ultimately, the bank shut down, the people lost a lot of money. But the bank, before it shut down, and when it was running right, had amassed millions, tens of millions of dollars Formerly slaves and freed black people It was an amazing feat That these people had been slaves But once they were freed They worked And they were able to fund this bank And make it a powerhouse of a bank Until People Basically stole from the bank Remember These Africans were new at this thing They thought that what, Hey if it's supposed to work a certain way It works that way And they believed it And they got taken. They got They got taken. So African Americans didn't really care for banks because their experience with the first bank, for most of them, was that you put your money in it, they make you feel good, actually kind of like today, take your money, and then you get nothing back and you just out of that money. Believe it or not, when I was a child in North Carolina, the older people there, most of them, did not carry their money in a bank. That's right. They did not put their money in the bank. They had money. They made money. They worked. But they did not put their money in banks because of that experience with the Freedmen's Bank. So because they didn't put their money in the bank, you go ask for a loan from a bank. You know, it's hard to do that even when you have money in the bank, especially when you're black. But back then, the banks didn't want to give them money for loan. As a matter of fact, if they wanted to buy a house, they needed to come with cash. If the house cost $2,500 or however much it cost back then, they needed to come up with that cash to pay for that. So consequently, you had a small number of black people, African, African-American people who owned the property. Not necessarily because they didn't want to, but just because of the structural dynamics of the day and their experiences. Remember, they were new at this capitalist thing right because they were the capital in capitalism when this country first started so the majority of landowners were white which also meant the majority of people who were paying property taxes were white even though they were the minority population minority population majority landowners majority of taxpayers taxpayers run the government everybody gets benefits from the government. There were some people at animosity because, look, hey, we're paying all the taxes, but yet they're reaping the benefit. There's something wrong with that, and we don't like it. But that was just some white people. But the majority of white people in Wilmington, North Carolina, seem to not have a problem with the coexistence with Africans. As a matter of fact, I will go so far as to say that Wilmington, North Carolina, was the blueprint for how America could have rid itself of its original sin of slavery because it gave opportunities to African Americans. Now, like I said, there were some trouble spots, but it did it more than anyone else. Wilmington, North Carolina also had a black owned daily newspaper. And that paper was owned by someone who was mixed with white. His grandfather. Had relationship with his slave, who was the owner of the newspaper's uh, grandmother, so he was partially white, but he was you know back then, one drop you black, so he is a black man. Look white, but he is a black man. And this is going to be important later on in the story. as the newspaper printed. It was, it, it was an anti-lynching newspaper, and lynching ran rampant in the South and even some places in the North and out West, Oklahoma territories, to name one. But it was against lynching. Now, there was a famous uh, woman uh, who really was important for the women's suffrage movement, um, but she was not pro-African American. And she spoke and wrote a piece about white men not being real men and protecting white women from the ravages of black men who raped white women. Did it happen? Did black men rape white women back then yet? But we also know that a lot of cases that reported as rapes was really, really consensual, and that it was white women who were just as much after the black men, which is part of the mythos of black men and white women to this very day. But back then, there was a woman, and her name was Mrs. W. H. Felton, Mrs. Felton. And Mrs. Felton gave a speech about the danger of black men. And in that speech, she talked about how, these black, oh, excuse me, these white farm women were left unprotected, and because they were left unprotected, and because black men were beasts and just wanted to have sex with white women, they were going around raping white women. And she talked about if white men were really men, that they would not allow this to happen, and that even if it took lynching, that they would lynch these rapists. And this didn't necessarily have to be a person who was proved of rape. This could have been a purpose, a person who was accused of rape. It could have been a, purpose, a person who was having consensual sex with a white woman, but because maybe the townspeople, the husband, the boyfriend, the fiancé found out about it, suddenly it became rape. That person was drugged out, rope was thrown over a tree. Oftentimes the black man was mutilated before death sometimes drawn in quarter before death, but mostly hung. And she talked about how white men needed to start hanging more black people, teach them a lesson, keep them in their place. The big burly black brute, the big burly black brute. That's how they thought of black men. So she gave this speech and the speech was carried in newspapers and The publisher, owner of this newspaper, Mr. Alexander Manley, Alexander Manley, the son of relations between a white slave owner and his grandmother. He wrote in his paper how lynching was wrong, that it wasn't Christian, Questioned the religion of the woman Who said she was a Christian For saying that people should just be Arbitrarily lynched He also stated Something that And this was probably the final straw He said That many white women Wanted Black men Just as many white men Wanted black women And he used his own grandmother Who was a slave Who He was the progeny of. This incensed some of Klansmen who were there. It also incensed people really across the state. Now, mind you, this was the largest uh, black-owned newspaper in the state. Wilmington, North Carolina, was the largest city in the state. And here you have this black-owned newspaper, this daily paper first of all, countering something that a white person said and a prominent white person at that, and then went on to say that white men were somehow sexually deprived having sex with black women and that white women were no different from white men wanting to have sex with black people. There was a group of people in Wilmington, North Carolina, that they were unemployed, and of course they blamed black people because black people had jobs and they didn't. They also had an issue with black people being the majority of the artisans. I'm talking about your your masons, your car, carpenters, uh, your 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 farmers. Uh, you're blacksmith. Basically, the things that slaves did, remember, most white people or a lot of white people didn't do these things because they had slaves to do those things. So slaves, once they were free, obviously they retained those skills. And now white people had to pay black people for those skills. And in Wilmington, North Carolina, there were unemployed white people who thought that black people had taken their jobs. So you had unemployed, unemployed white people And then you had another group of people These were just racist white people Ex-Confederates Who never got over losing to the North And there were, there were laws of, That restricted white people White people, white men could not, Who were in the army Confederate army Could not vote Here it is, black people Could vote But white men could not vote Remember, these were former Confederate people who thought they were better than black people, and now black people were allowed to do something that they weren't allowed to do. So not only do you have people who are unemployed, that are white, thinking black people took their jobs, you have people who used to own slaves who now have to pay for slaves to do work for them, right? And they had an issue with black people being elected officials Which meant that black people Had some control over white people That was an issue They call that black dominance Of white people Well it wasn't black dominance of white people Because like any other government Those who were in charge of government Set the rules and laws For all of the citizens That they covered But white people at this time In Wilmington, North Carolina Had a problem with it And it kept building and because more black people were coming to Wilmington, North Carolina and voting, there was more power being transferred to the Republicans. So remember, the Republicans were the ones who freed the slaves. They were from the North. They were the Union Army, right? So most sl- former slaves, now freedmen, became Republicans. And they believed in American the constitutional the system and their right to vote. They knew that's where the power was, a lesson for people today. And so they voted, and they voted in number. And remember, Wilmington, North Carolina, had more black people than it had white people. So Republicans, authority of government in Wilmington, North Carolina, and the county of New Hanover County, which Wilmington, North Carolina, resided in. Now, the western side of North Carolina had still a lot of the Democratic control. And due to jurymandering, they maintained that control longer. But as more Republicans got into state office in the legislature, and then they had a Republican governor who wanted to tear down the last bastions of Confederate power and started reaching out to the western part of North Carolina, tearing down some of the old Confederate power structures, this incensed those old confederates even more. And they started to devise a plan. And I'll come back to that just after I give a station ID. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live. I am Rodney Smith in the air chair this evening. Normally we come on at 1230 Saturday afternoon, but I've been on hiatus because I ran for office, but I am back. And today is the 120th anniversary of the coup d'etat, of Wilmington, North Carolina. And I thought since the elections is over, this was a great time to talk about this. It's an historic historical mile marker in American history and a lot of things that we see going on in government today. I thought that this was a great topic. Plus it is the hundred and twentieth anniversary of it. History is important. And this is about history. This is about something that has not happened since, but it did happen then. And that was the insurrection In Wilmington, North Carolina That's how it's listed I call it a coup d'etat Because it did Sever the head of government In Wilmington, North Carolina And that's what a coup does You had Due to black people voting And more black people voting You had the Democrats Losing more and more power to the Republicans Even in their stronghold of western North Carolina And after a while The white people just In western North Carolina Got tired of it and they wanted to strike back And so what they did Was they devised a plan And this plan Was basically To terrorize black people And to terrorize Sympathetic white people And because Wilmington, North Carolina Had this upstart Newspaper publisher Had the nerve To say that white Men wanted to have sex with black women, and that they should stop lynching black people and countered a famous white suffrage person, Mrs. Felton, that they needed to do something about it, and they needed to regain power and They devised a plan because they got their rights to vote, they wanted to take over the government, they wanted to run for governor in For the state And they also wanted To run for the legislature But they had to take over Government in Wilmington, North Carolina They did a massive Voter suppression campaign They hired a couple of Newspapers that were white run Throughout the state And one in Wilmington, North Carolina To publish false stories About what was going on in Wilmington, North Carolina They tried to discredit The news Paper In Wilmington, North Carolina Run by Mr. Alexander Manley Now if any of this Seems familiar to you It should because we see similar things Happening today in politics Another reason why I want to do this show Because freedom of press is important So in Wilmington, North Carolina That became their target They had to get rid of the newspaper They had to change government Well they lost the election for governor But when Wilmington, North Carolina, had its elections for the local government, for the assembly, they thought that if they intimidated the Republican people there in Wilmington, North Carolina, the largest city in North Carolina, most populous, that by doing that, they could gain votes and they could win the assembly. And they planted stories about black people wanting to have dominance over white people, that there were white people who were race traitors who allowed this to happen and that if it happened there, it could happen all over the South and they just couldn't have it. So they planted these stories. They got the local militia. They got the local Klansmen. They got former Confederates. But they also got rough riders. These were people who were at San Juan Hill with Teddy Roosevelt that they also got, who were unemployed, established sort of a cabal of white supremacists to take down the government and women to North Carolina. The word got to the black people that this was happening. They started, these militiamen started roaming the areas in Wilmington, North Carolina that were the black areas. One of the places was actually called Brooklyn. Brooklyn in Wilmington, North Carolina. That was the name of the neighborhood where a lot of the black people lived. And so these militia people, ex-Confederates, ex-Rough Riders started basically walking through with guns in the black area. Now, the black people there, it wasn't like they just laid down and took it. They wanted to defend themselves. And they went to buy guns. But guess what? All of the gun store owners were white. They wanted to buy ammo. Same thing. They couldn't. Is there a black gun shop in Las Vegas? Is there a black gun shop where you all stay? Just curious. So black people couldn't buy guns. Now, they were smart, right? They even went. To the Win, I believe it's the Winchester Company, uh, either out of the city or out of the state, to purchase guns, mail order. They down in Wilmington to find out what was going on, and then the people in Wilmington told them that hey, these black people are trying to buy guns, and we're not selling them. So Winchester wouldn't even sell them the gun. So black people effectively were unarmed, and they could not get weapons. So for those of you black people today who are talking about a revolution. How many guns do you have And where did you go get your guns Just just a thought I want to plant that seed We need to have solutions So let's be solutionaries Versus revolutionaries So black people couldn't get guns Black people didn't have guns Well let me take that back They did have some guns They had muskets This is 1898 And a few black people had muskets And a couple of handguns That's it Whereas The white militia was a militia, and they had all types of guns. They even had a Gatling gun, a Gatling gun. Basically, it was an old-fashioned, one of the original uh, machine guns. They had that in Wilmington, North Carolina. They even had cannons in Wilmington, North Carolina. So they're patrolling the street, armed, backed up by a Gatling gun and cannons. They would go to churches and intimidate the black churchgoers because they believed they had heard, because you remember, they had this disinformation, misinformation campaign. They had planted stories in the local newspapers that black people were conspiring against white people in churches, and they would take the cannons, and they would point the cannons at the front door of the churches and threaten the people in the church, the pastors, that if they didn't come out and surrender their weapons or be searched weapons that they would blow the doors off the churches so what did the pastors do they protect their flock they open the doors of course they found no gun but it didn't stop the lie this is the importance of lies in politics because even though they never found any guns even though black people didn't really have guns under the muskets because the white people wouldn't sell it to them but the rumor that was planted the seed of discourse that was planted was that black people were conspiring against the white people, and they had guns. Now, when they say conspiring against white people, they're talking about white Republicans. Remember, there was an election coming, right? So they wrote, they drafted the white people, intimidated the black people. The black people are scared. They intimidated the white Republicans. The white Republicans are scared. They have the newspapers planning all these bad stories about black people and white traitors. They're roaming the streets with with guns and cannons and, and Gatling machine guns, right? And it worked. They had elections. They had elections. Now, they didn't take the power away from the alternate. They were still in power. But they did win some other races because most of the black people stayed home and a lot of the Republicans stayed home. Now, But because of the vast number differential, even though a lot of them stayed home, they still had some votes. But these white Republicans now won a couple of things. But they did not win city government. And they were mad because they were still, in their minds, being dominated by black people and race-trading white people. And they had planted all these stories. They had whipped the people up in a frenzy there in Wilmington, North Carolina, white people, that black people were trying to rule over them. These were the Democrats. And they were armed. The black people weren't armed. They intimidated the good white people. They stayed home. But they wanted to go further. They created a document. Basically, it was a white man's bill of rights, white man's constitution. And in that, it talked about how there could be no black man ruling over a white man. How that they were going to, people who were in jobs, to give up their jobs, and the white people who were unemployed were going to take these jobs because too many white people were unemployed. The interesting side note about that is that once they got rid of the black people, and they did, and the white people got those jobs, they didn't want them. They didn't like them because they considered them slave jobs, that be in paid slave wages, hence the rise of the unions. Different topics, but it does relate. You have these white people who have intimidated and suppressed the vote, and because of that, they won some power. They forced the governor of the state, because this, this happened all over the state, These people started, these white people, not black people, these white people started rioting, shooting people, burning stuff, very similar to what happened in Greenwood. The election was over, and they sent out this white person's bill of rights. One of the things that they demanded was that the owner of the newspaper, Mr. Alexander Manley, had to be turned over to these white people so they could run him out of town. Or maybe lynching They called the prominent black people Together And they basically set them down And gave them, a, gave them this, this ultimatum We're going to give you 12 hours To turn over the newspaper publisher We're going to Give you that time To influence The duly elected people A woman to North Carolina These aldermen Their seats these Republicans to relinquish their seats to the Democrats, the Confederates, the white supremacists. And if you do that, maybe we'll let you live. If not, they had made a promise that they would fill the Cape Fair River. That's the river that runs to Warmington, North Carolina, that they would fill the Cape Fair River with black bodies and so many of them that it would stop the flow of water. So they were just planning on killing a bunch of black people and dumping them into the Cape Fear River. And there would be so many of them that it would stop the flow of the river. And so that night, that was the ultimatum that they gave. If you don't turn over government to us, if you don't run these people out of town, if you don't turn over that newspaper publisher, this is what we're going to do. The black people peacefully get this information. They go back. They pleaded with them and said, look, we don't control the newspaper. It's freedom of the press. Right? Already we know that these white people, these Confederates, these Republicans in the day had violated the 14th Amendment because the 14th Amendment gave black people citizenship. Right? 15th Amendment, I believe, somebody fact-checked me, gave them the right to vote. They violated that because they used intimidation. In the But in the amendment, it talks about the federal government, I think it was the uh, Act of 1870. It it was basically a civil rights and a voting rights act that gave Congress the authority to to intervene if there was any voter suppression of black people. But these folks did not believe that the Constitution in that area was meant for white people. So they didn't listen to it, and they made up their own rights. And they said that once that the black people gave up the power, because black people were not smart enough to have control over white people, and that it wasn't right for black people to have control over white people, therefore the Constitution in that area did not apply to what they were doing. So in their minds, they weren't violating the Constitution, though it is clearly written. Well, a letter with the help of a lawyer, stating that they had no control, but that they basically didn't want any trouble, do as you will, but leave us alone. Basically, they were capitulating to the the white people, to to the Democrats. They gave the letter to someone to deliver personally to a Mr. Manley, who was the sort of the key organizer of this group of white supremacists. He was supposed to deliver it to him personally, but instead of delivering it to him personally, he got scared, and he put it in Mr. Manley's mailbox. At about 8:15, we don't—they don't state for sure whether Manley got the letter at 7:30, but he did not get it at 7:30 because they don't know when he checked his mailbox. But they do know that about 8:15, he called a meeting at the local armory. He started out with about 500 men. And they said that they were going to burn the press down, they were going to run Mr. Alexander Manley out of town or, and or hang him, and that they were going to depose these black elected officials and their, well, white race traders who supported them out of town, and all of the prominent white people and black people that supported it, they were going to run them out of town. Mob of 500 turned into a mob of 2,000, and they literally started going. They went to Brooklyn, and they went to another place called Manhattan. Why the places in Wilmington, North Carolina, were named after Burroughs in New York, I'm not sure. I don't know the history of that, but that's where the black people were. That's where these white uh, supremacists went, and they started shooting black people on sight. 17 times, 20 times, they would shoot him, shoot him in the back. a black man was running away, trying to jump a fence. They have the story of how they shoot, shot one of them over 20 times. And they would go into houses. They would loot the houses. They were looking for weapons. They never would find weapons. And then they would run the children, women out, thousands, Went into the swamps surrounding Wilmington, North Carolina, to hide. Now, here's an interesting sort of anecdotal story. So they they basically they do what uh, many white supremacists say today in the Civil War 2.0. They cordoned off the city, the bridges. They had they had these sentries there. They were armed, and they were going to keep the black people from from escaping that were these prominent black people and and white people because they wanted to make an example out of them. Now, they didn't know what Mr. Alexander Manley looked like. Mr. Alexander Manley looked like a white man, but he was a black man. Remember, grandfather had relations with his grandmother. Two weeks prior to this happening, Manley packed up his printing presses, his business, he and his brother and his family, and they left. When they got to the, one of the bridges with one of the exits out of town, because the white people who were the sentries there thought he was white, they actually loaded up his, his uh, wagon with rifles, told him if he ran across that, that Alexander Manley, that Negro, they called him something else with an N word, that he could use those rifles to shoot him on sight. Think about that. Just imagine being Mr. Manley. But Mr. Manley left with some rifles that he recently was given by the white people who wanted to kill him that didn't know he was him. <laughs> and he left town two weeks before this all happened. So when they went to the printing press, they couldn't find him because he had already left town. They burned the printing press. They burned the building. It was a two-story building. They burned it, burned it to the ground, stole some stuff out of it. And then they commenced to walk into Wilmington, North Carolina, shooting black people. It's estimated that somewhere between 60 to 300 black people were killed, and that about 2,500 black people either were forced out of the city or fled from the city. The city was a city of 10,000 people, black people populated it 60%. But 2,500 out of 10,000, 25% of them left, 300 were killed, 60 to 300 were killed, murdered, massacred. They took over basically the aldermens or city council, and then the city council then elected Mr. Manley as the mayor, and then they enacted – what became a, a blueprint The prototype for Jim Crow laws Of the South And because this was happening to women North Carolina It happened throughout all of North Carolina And the word got back that it was happening In North Carolina And it started happening throughout the South White people started rebelling Because remember Grant Had to take the troops Out of the South That kept the South at bay From attacking black people Once Grant had taken those troops out, then there was some laws that helped prevent, but there were still Ku Klux Klansmen terrorizing black people. In Wilmington, North Carolina, the Ku Klux Klansmen became the new police, also something similar to today. There was actually an Irishman, an Irishman of all people. And the reason why I say that because the Irish weren't treated very well in America back then. As a matter of fact, they were indentured servants earlier. But an Irishman, unemployed, I believe he had been a rough rider, leads the organizing for a lot of this killing. The governor activates the local militia, the light militia. The light militia at first starts shooting at everybody, blacks, whites. They just, you know, they're the army. They just start shooting. But eventually they're, they're white. They side with the white Confederates and some of their rough riding brethren. And they turn on the black people, and they bring the Gatling gun in the streets, and they open up on black people. And once the, the killing, the, the arson, the burglary, larceny once this stuff is over, and they reinstall their own local government, and then this spreads eventually up to the state, the governor doesn't run again because white people have taken over, white people. So. White Democrats have taken over. A white supremacist Republican gains the governorship. The state assembly is taken over by racist, white supremacist Democrats. And they basically roll the clock back. And all of the laws that were there to protect black people and the number one law that they were after was voting they didn't want black people voting because it was too many of them and they knew that that was power black people today especially young people and young people in general i'm targeting you millennials you need to know voting is power they knew voting was power so they made laws that this is where you got the poll tax but so that it didn't keep poor white men from voting they kind of grandfathered it in and said that if you could vote before i believe it was 1870 or it might have been 1860, if you could vote before then, then you would be allowed to vote. But if you couldn't vote before then and you weren't white, you could not vote without paying this poll tax. And this poll tax could be any sort of thing. As an example, it could be recite and write a certain portion of the Constitution. And then they would determine whether you did it right or not. And that's just one example. Uh, There's a famous story that Oprah Winfrey tells about a current elected official's, uh, I think, great-grandfather who had been a slave, and how he had got off work, I think, or got up early in the morning, and he walked like 10 miles so he could go vote. And when he got to that location, they told him that he was at the wrong place. It was so-and-so. And he walked there however many miles. And they told him, no, that was the wrong location. It was so-and-so. And then he went and walked to each of these places that they told him was the right place to go and vote. And then finally, when he got to the final place, the voting, the polls had closed, and he never got a chance to vote. And I believe he died without ever voting. But that's how much he believed in voting, that he would walk all over the city, all over the state, to find this place that he could go cast his ballot. Voting was important to these former slaves. Who are now freedmen Voting should be important to every citizen today And if you're African American Even more so Because you didn't have it And the people died And they had things like poll taxes trying to prevent you We're talking about the insurrection I call it the coup d'etat Of Wilmington, North Carolina In 1898 November 10th, 1898 This is the 110th year anniversary Of an insurrection In the United States of America The only officially listed insurrection in the history of this country happened not too from my ancestral home tomorrow is Veterans Day and veterans I'm one of them go fight for this country and other countries to ensure that they have the right to vote self-governance I ran for office here to ensure that we have people that look like us and people who are sympathetic to the poor community people to represent them. The insurrection of Wilmington, North Carolina, which was really a coup d'etat, the removal of head of government, violent overthrow of government happened 120 years ago. We should not allow it to happen today. They did something that was illegal. It violated the 14th and 15th Amendments They came up with their own rules. They told lies. They demeaned the press. They planted false stories in the press, press, and they found press outlets that would support them. This is before TV. Newspaper was king when it came to journalism and media, the press. I believe in the United States Constitution. As a matter of fact, I took an oath to protect and defend the United States Constitution. The Bill of Rights is a part of the United States Constitution. The First Amendment allows for freedom of expression, speech, practice of religion, and the freedom of press is specifically spelled out. These white supremacists in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898 violated the United States Constitution's First Amendment they did not allow black people to own guns violated the 2nd amendment the bill of rights of the United States constitution they violated the 4th amendment the 5th amendment the 8th i mean they just violated multiple portions of our constitution because they simply could not handle black people benefiting from the Constitution of the United States. Nor could they stand Black people being in positions of government that they believed gave them dominance over them. This story, and I hope that you all heard it all, reminds us of a lot of what's going on with government today. And to the people who stand by and watch it, We have examples of what happens, whether we go back to the coup d'etat, the insurrection of Wilmington, North Carolina, in 1898, whether we go with the brown shirts in what became Nazi Germany the 1930s. In Wilmington, North Carolina, they weren't brown shirts. They called them red shirts. That was actually a name of a group, the Red Shirts. And the Red Shirts, along with the militia, along with Klansmen, former Rough Riders, Confederates, Overthrew the duly elected government Of Wilmington, North Carolina And had a cascade effect Throughout all of North Carolina And then when that happened Other southern states Followed suit And that's when the Jim Crow laws Really kicked in Throughout the south And the United States of America Started in Wilmington, North Carolina 120 years ago Today Let's do a what if. Let's say that those black people could have gotten guns and those sympathetic white people could have gotten guns. And they could have repelled these white supremacists, these former Confederates, Republicans, excuse me, Democrats. Democrats were the racist back then, could have repelled them. Instead of Wilmington, North Carolina, and then the state of North Carolina being the bastion of white supremacy of the South, then maybe there could have been an example of how blacks and whites could coexist. And maybe that's what would have spread through the South. Imagine how great of a nation we would truly be today if that had happened whites and blacks, coexisting together as co-equals, living near one another, side by side, going to school together, working together, running the government together. A lot of the ills that we have today we wouldn't have, but it started in Wilmington, North Carolina, November 10th, 1898. Tomorrow, I'm going to a church. I've been invited to speak. A veterans' event. I don't know if I'll speak about Wilmington, North Carolina, but it will be on my mind because I'll be speaking to both black people and white people and others. And to a certain extent, I'll be a VIP in a position of honor. I'm from that area of Wilmington, North Carolina. 120 years ago, I would have been considered one of those people that was targeted by the white supremacists. They would have sought to hang me, run my family out of town. I'm glad I live today and not back then. But even though I live today and not back then, we can see the parallels of today and back then. And they violated the United States Constitution, which I took an oath as a military member to protect and defend. I hope that all the military members remember that oath because there was no expiration date on it. And I hope every citizen remembers that we have a constitution. We're a constitutional democratic republic. And the laws that are set up is so that everyone can be equal and no one is above the law, including elected officials, whether they're aldermen, as in Wilmington, North Carolina, mayors, governors, or even the president of today. No one is above the law That is a guiding principle No one should be above the law I titled it The 1898 coup d'etat Of Wilmington, North Carolina It's officially listed as the only Insurrection in the history of this country Where a duly elected government Was overthrown And replaced By the powers That overthrew the government And then not only took over the city of Wilmington, North Carolina, the county of New Hanover County, but also the state of North Carolina, which led to that happening throughout the South. There was one jealous man who brought this all about. You see how one person can make a difference for good or bad when the good people, let's use this as a lesson and not allow it to happen today. Let's keep it in the history books of 1898. My name is Rodney Smith, back in the air chair on Our Own Voices Live, and you've been listening to Our Own Voices Live, and the title of our show today was the 1898 Kuletat of Wilmington, North Carolina. For those who came in late, I hope you'll go back and listen to it, research it yourself, know it for yourself, and tell the story. And as we celebrate Veterans Day And I want to give a special thank you for all of those who've served. You are the true 1% that preserve this nation. And then another shout out to the 3%, which is the family and loved ones of the 1% who have actually and actively served. Thank you for supporting them. Thank you for supporting us. And I think that one of the things that we all can do force those who are openly attacking our United States Constitution to stick by the rule of law. That's what we can do, to vote, to know our issues, to not go for party, but go for the person that supports your issues. And if there's no one out there, find someone. If you can't find them, be that someone. It's not easy. But if we want to ensure that things are better for our children, our grandchildren, we plant those seeds today that they will reap the benefit of the bountiful harvest tomorrow's. Whatever we sow today, our children and grandchildren will reap tomorrow. Not sow bitter seeds because they will have a bitter harvest. 1898 coup d'etat of Wilmington, North Carolina. I will see you back probably next week. Uh, for all of you veterans, there's plenty of restaurants out there that Are having uh, free meals Sometimes it's a limited menu I may be going to claim jumpers Hope I'll see you out there This is a time where we get to reflect On those who protect the Constitution That allow us to live Let's show some Let's just show some positive words For those who've gone before us And are still serving And those who are overseas And don't get a chance to celebrate Let's remember them too Thank you everybody for listening. Hopefully I'll be back next Saturday at our normally scheduled time of twelve thirty with another topic. We'll probably talk about the elections a little bit more. Give a veteran a hug. We talked about the insurrection of Wilmington, North Carolina. I titled the eighteen ninety eight coup d'etat of Wilmington, North Carolina. Take care everybody. See you back here next week. Bye bye.